I'm Tracy Rhodes, creator of Traces of Faith. Writing online since 2014, I've been swept up in the glorious and bottomless well of Capital C Church, the body of Christ, those believers who proclaim Jesus as divine king over, well, everything. With this weekly podcast, I want to connect all of us to the greater church. Whether you're a new believer or a seasoned one, Christian curious, or anywhere in between, I'm confident you'll be intrigued by what I've discovered in my spiritual wanderings. Let's talk church. We have two books remaining in our series on the 10 books on faith that changed me in early blog post that I wrote at Traces of Faith back when I started. It looks like this post came out well, probably a few years after I had started, but certainly the books I read very early on, and they had a, a great influence on me. Actually, as I've done the series, I've thought, man, I would like to go back and read each one to see kind of how they hit me differently all these years later. Today's post or episode is about the book Short Trip to the Edge, A Pilgrimage to Prayer. It's by Scott Cairns, who is actually um, a professor and normally a writer of poetry. He has several books on poems that have been published, and so I would encourage you to check those out as well. Um, My guess is if we talk to Mr. Cairns, he would say poetry is his, uh, is his first love. But I very much enjoyed the memoir that he wrote about a pilgrimage that he took to Mount Athos, which is a monastic community within the Orthodox tradition. I smile as I say that entire sentence um, because I'm pretty sure it's monastic <laughs> and The Orthodox are so new to me. Um, I I humbly even mention them because Eastern Christianity is a part of our greater body of Christ that I know so very little about. I never want to offend. I just want to make people um, aware. I actually spend a lot of time when I'm doing different articles and blog posts considering, okay, we all kind of know in my world, this Western Christianity way of doing things. And we kind of know things that are considered quote unquote Catholic. But then there's this whole other world, um, a whole different calendar, a whole different set of liturgical calendar festivals and feasts and fasts that make up the Orthodox community. And then within the Orthodox community, you have Eastern and you have Coptic and you have Ethiopian. And so all of it has taught me how big and wide and beautiful the church is. So turning back to short trip to the edge, Mr. Cairns grew grew up um, Southern Baptist, uh, definitely a theme early on in my readings of different books, individuals who had some good and some bad experiences in that more conservative Protestant tradition. 
their world just got bigger. Um, th- things just blew up faith-wise in a, in a good and positive way. And for um, Scott, that meant he became Orthodox, um, actually made that transition to, to becoming um, a follower of Christ in that tradition. That's much of what this book is about. Um, it also gives you a good glimpse at um, the different practices that an Orthodox person, specifically a monk, would um, participate in on a daily basis, prayer of the hours. Um, There's a beautiful story that he tells about a time that he received the Eucharist on the island. And today's reading, as I close, is just a pretty general look um, at Mount Athos. It's towards the beginning of the book, and he kind of walks through exactly what these monastic communities are like and how many there are, um, how they fit into modern times today. Um, in this case, Mount Athos is uh, in Greece, and so um, how it kind of fits in in the politics and social world today, as well as all the, all the years that it has existed. In either case, the monastic rule has always resolved, revolved around prayer and fasting too, but fasting is a tool assisting prayer. It is safe to say that nothing about life on Mount Athos is understood as an end in itself, and that everything deliberate about life on Mount Athos is undertaken to accommodate prayer. Prayer is undertaken to accommodate union with God, what those in the business like to call theosis. We should probably stick to prayer for now, but theosis is the crux of our matter, and that is where I pray we will eventually arrive. Odd as Mount Athos may appear by contemporary standards, the Holy Mountain is visited by hundreds of pilgrims every month. The generally balmy weather and calm seas of spring, summer, and fall bring boatload after boatload, scrambling to visit the steep and rocky slopes, the deep forests of chestnut, pine, and juniper, and the ancient enclaves. Though wintertime draws relatively fewer, they arrive daily and by the dozens even so whenever the weather-driven surf allows the ferry boats to dock. That is to say, year-round, pilgrims arrive at Mount Athos virtually every day, looking for something. One friend, now a novice monk at Simonopetra, told me that a good many visitors come in search of healing from serious illness, their own or that of a loved one. Some arrive because their marriages are failing or have failed. Some come to kick an addiction or two, and some few arrive because they are drawn to a fuller sense of prayer. Most of them are Orthodox Christians, and most are from Greece. A good number arrive from other parts of Eastern Europe, notably Romania and Russia. Concurrent with the rise of Eastern Orthodoxy in English-speaking countries, many also come from England, Australia, and North America. Many non-Orthodox arrive as well. From what I could gather, many of these are from Germany and other parts of Western Europe. As I mentioned, the daily limit for entry to the Holy Mountain is 120 Orthodox and 14 non-Orthodox men. Since a vote among residents monks in the year 1045 and a subsequent edict of Emperor Constantine in 1060, women are not allowed entry at all, ever. 
This last bit seems to many, as it has seemed to me, to be the most archaic element of the entire operation, an element that, for some of us, threatens to turn admirably quaint into regrettably anachronistic, verging right up on the cusp of damned insulting. Granted, there are many monastic communities, East and West, that choose to limit their communities to one gender or the other. The Athenite monasteries are not unique in that respect. Many convents exclude men. Many monasteries exclude women. That's all for today. Again, it's Tracy Rhodes. You can find me online at my blog, tracesoffaith.com. My social media handles, Twitter is Traces of Faith, Facebook and Instagram, Traces of Faith blog. Take care until next time.